0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: You're listening to Mavs Sports Take. Whether it's breaking news or sports business, this is your home for unmuzzled and unconventional sports talk. With assistant general manager, director of player personnel, and three time world champion on his resume, David Turner has a thing or two to teach you about pro football. At his side is Ryan Roberts, former college football player, football coach, and NFL Draft Bibles director of scouting. Together, they're here to take you on a deep dive into what goes on in the world of sports. Ryan and David, take it away.
2: We're live here. Welcome back to Mavs Sports Take. This is episode 18, your weekly podcast for sports, business, and more. We've seen a lot of adversity through the 2020 season, so far, 2020 year in general, and tonight... We are going unmuzzled to talk about college football, pro football, sports as a business. With me, Ryan Roberts at Rise and Drift on Twitter and at Mav underscore Sports. Mr. David Turner, David, I know uh, health isn't the best in the world right now, my friend, but appreciate you being back with us again. The eighteenth episode, if you could believe it, tonight.
3: I know, doing it from the couch again, y'all. Going to probably be here for the next six or seven weeks, but we're still on here having a ball, having a fun time, and I can't wait for tonight. I think we're bringing another exciting episode to the marketplace, something that people can tune in, learn from, listen to, and get some good takeaways from.
2: Absolutely, and tonight we are going to start this episode. We're going to be joined by Mr. Keon Johnson, who is a PR executive And we're going to talk about how the professional sports teams tackle the tough subjects. And with the coaching carousel already in full swing, how the interview process is broken down and how it can be fixed later on. After we get done with Mr. Keon, we also have some great topics. NFL draft, college football, NFL. We're covering it all. Before we do, are you a college player wondering how the inner workings to a college scouting department work? Are you an agent that wonders how a player gets evaluated? Are you an aspiring scout that would like to peek into a college scouting department? Join us on Friday night scout school this week to learn the inner workings of the college football scouting department. We'll be going over how to do a college campus call. What questions you should be asking, how to, how a body type of player, how to dig into the in injuries and character. Don't miss your opportunity to learn about a college scouting department. Sign up today at NFO this Friday, nine o'clock Eastern time. Inviting my get our guest, I'm gonna say my guest, our guest uh. to the show tonight. We got Mr. Keon Johnson from a small town in Pittsburgh, California, played for football at high school and junior college, was injured, and found a different way to stay involved with sports. Went on to attend Grambling State University, which he's repping tonight on the shirt. If you are live with us now, where he found his love for communications, majoring in public relations. After graduating from Grambling State, he accepted an internship with the Houston Texans. He remained with the Texans for two years and then moved on to the San Francisco 49ers within their public relations department. Spent another two years out there in San Fran, then moved to Miami to work with the Florida Panthers for a season and was able to come back to San Francisco for his second stint with the 49ers. From there, he joined the PR teams with the Golden State Warriors and the Oakland now las vegas raiders keon also works in teams with ian williams daniel felds and applied silver to help the sports world to be a safer and cleaner place by helping to stop the spread of dangerous pathogens and infections with silver clean products keon i think that was my best intro in the world that was way better than david's if i must say so well
0: Hey man, that was uh that was really solid, man. Uh, you know, I, I listen to this, I listen and watch this show like every week, man. So I'm I'm really excited to be here. Uh definitely, definitely excited to talk to you guys and uh, you know, kind of give uh, a lot of people um a different take on different avenues in sports that um that you, you you don't really hear about as much, but it plays a very vital um role in teams and and um and what they plan on doing and how they plan on attacking
2: uh, different different uh, scenarios. Well, absolutely, and, and I was really excited, and I knew David was too, because that perspective is one that we haven't talked about a ton so far in the uh, the podcast history. So wanted to highlight a little bit about yourself to start your career path, and give us just the framework of how you've got into the the, the work in, and that you do now in the public relations field.
0: Okay, Um, so, yeah, basically, man, uh, in college, uh, I was actually going to do advertising. (laughs) Um, I went into college to do advertising. And then um, once once our advertising department folded, um, one of my uh, mentors uh, said, hey, you know, you you're you're a very good uh, communicator. Won't you try public relations? I didn't even know what it was to be honest with you. I was like, I don't don't know what that is. So, um, I was like, well, well, let me give it a try. And I got in there and I learned it, you know, it was a lot to do with writing, um, speaking to people and, you know, just kind of getting the word out. And, um, and I found that it was, it was another way to kind of stay in the sports and, you know, sports is something that I've done pretty much my entire life. Um, so, uh, I was able to, you know, uh, join in with the um, the Gramlin State uh, football team, um, Eddie Robinson, coach, legendary coach Eddie Robinson's last uh, couple of years, last couple of years, and into Doug Williams' years. So it um, we had a we had a pretty pretty good time out there. So um, doing that uh, after college, I you know just kind of submitted my resume to thirty. It was a uh, it was thirty two teams at that time, NFL. Because the Texans that just uh, made made their first, um, they were going into their first year after at the time I was starting graduating. To show your age
3: a little, starting to show your age a little. <laughs> yeah, you, you know about
0: that day. We uh, your age
3: is peeking in.
0: <laughs> yeah, so went there, um, and so I got I got uh, contacted by literally one team out, out of all the NFL teams, all the. All the uh, NBA teams and Major League Baseball. One team called me back, and uh, that was the Texans. And so I, um, you know, did the interview, got in, and you know, it, it just kind of started moving from there. I was always told, man, once once you uh, once you get your foot in the door, man, don't don't let that door close. Just just keep it open and keep moving. So that's uh, that's what I did.
2: Kian, I, want, I wanted to ask you about your your your. Um your stint there at Grambling State because I know there's a lot of people that are really excited. Obviously, Deion Sanders is now part of the HBCU lineage down there. How excited are you as an alum of an HBCU, uh, Historically Black College and University, and just in general, kind of taking a step back and thinking about what great things that branch of college football and athletics can do now that somebody like Deion Sanders is kind of at the forefront and, and sort of a symbol for what maybe the potential could be over there?
0: Yeah I, I think it I think it was it was great not only for HBCUs in general but um just just for the SWAC conference uh for Gramlin I think it's going to do a, a lot for Gramlin cuz now uh, every time Gramlin plays Jackson State those are big eyes on that uh those are big eyes on that uh, game and there're going to be a lot of scouts coming out to those games now because I think Deion Sanders assembled a coaching staff that has like I want to say like 80 something combined years of uh NFL experience, with that comes, you know, tons of tons of relationships that those guys have built that they're gonna bring their uh they're gonna bring their their guys in to to watch their team, but not only their team. They're gonna watch every team in the SWAC. Um so you get an eyes on that, on that conference and on uh on those games and on those players that you know probably necessarily wasn't on them before so it, Deion Sanders coming to uh coming to Jackson State is actually a big thing i mean um i'm not going to be rooting for Jackson State but uh, <laughs> but i think it's a great thing uh, it is exciting for for us all
3: Absolutely. so key real you know real quick you know so everybody full disclosure key and i played high school football together at Dallas Salle High School and we've known each other for a long time and I'm i am sorry to hear that well, no, it was really <laughs>
2: championship. <just>
3: <laughs> championships. That's all we gotta say.
2: Championships. Oh, I, I meant, I meant playing with David, not playing with Dallas. <laughs> oh, don't no, right, worry. Right, I didn't.
3: It. I didn't. I didn't play much. Um, so uh, I was kind of the guy on the sidelines. But that being said, uh, you know, I used to see Key in the press boxes, and it was kind of funny how both of us found ways. To stay involved in sports even after our playing days were up, and how much this game has meant to us, you know this field though that Key took this this road that Keon took, I didn't know much about, and I still can say I'm a novice. And even though I've you know I've worked with teams and I know that PR departments do a lot of good for you know the branding of the of the organization and protecting of the organization in certain times, you know, but Key can you know this field is not a lot a lot of people are familiar with it. Can you explain what it means to be a part of a PR team for an organization? Yeah. So
0: I look at it um in this in this way. It's basically you're a customer service rep for everybody. Everybody in the organization that that goes from players that goes from uh, front office staff that goes from the media who's covering it, who's covering the team um, to cheerleaders, everybody in the organization. Whenever they have something going on, um, you're the person that's pitching it out. So basically, you're the person that's going and you're, you're talking to the media and you're telling them, hey, we uh, this player has this is off the field. This player has this event going on we think it'd be great for you guys to cover it. So, and it's actually building a relationship between that media person, whoever it is, a reporter or, and this player. So, um, it's, it's all about building relationships and getting, um, getting, getting that, that, uh, that relationship established. And once that relationship is established, you kind of nourish, nurture it and, uh, build it forward. That goes to, that goes with like anything that's going on. Um, so any uh, any any like type of crisis management that happens uh the pr team is the people that go in and they you know kind of you know help bring it out to the forefront and help it uh help the help it to be seen in a in a in a in a better light hopefully than uh mm-hmm. what it is um so it, it's a lot of it, i mean it's a lot of basically uh <laughs> Talking to this person, talking to this person, talking to this person, and getting getting the right word, getting the right word out, and getting the right message out to uh, to the public.
3: So when you're saying that, it's like I know there are sometimes there's curveballs thrown at you. Not only the set events, but there's curveballs or last minute things, or maybe something happens at a player or or someone else from the rep, you know, from the organization, a coach or something does that might not maybe the organization wasn't aware of right away, right? Mm-hmm. How how does that get handled? That that gets handled. Um, Basically, what
0: when when we do have uh, events like that to take place, there's, you know, we have to we have to hit it head on. um, But we don't have to have all the answers at that time. So we can go like, you know, we'll look we're looking into this. I mean, you might hear a lot of you might hear a lot of that. You know, we're link- we're looking into this, we can't comment on it right now and it's okay to not it's always okay not to comment on something at that point but just address it later. But because you don't want to you don't want to say something or you don't want to have anybody else say something that's incorrect or that that can be seen in a in a um in a negative way or you didn't you didn't want to um you didn't want to say it that way. So You kind of you kind of want to just regroup, go back to your team and and you guys talk about it. You talk to the person that was involved in it and make sure everybody gets um, the story straight or exactly what happened, Uh, because you always got to be truthful. And um, so that's the message that you want to put out. I mean, sometimes you don't want to put everything out. You just you know, you put out what you think is important and what needs to be said and then you and then you move on a lot of the times that that's another thing you got to do is just you know you, you face it and then you move on
2: and keon i i know this isn't like public relations isn't just specific to sports but when we're talking about in the sports world what are some of the challenges to working in the field and what what are, what overall would you say is the 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 importance of public relations in the sports arena the sports spectrum in general it's
0: uh it's a very 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 important thing to have a, a a good pr team behind you because you like you said with different things that pop up i mean if if you don't have the right people there there you know it can get blown out of a portion and this little story be, can become a huge story that True. you did not want to get out or mm-hmm. that if it did get out it's it's not the it's not the way you want it and so now you're going to have to do more uh, crisis management type work on stuff that was something that could have been handled really easily with a with a no comment right now, and then you go back and and uh you regroup and you get the right message out. Um, there's and then sometimes you got you got rogue people that you know that kind of go out on the on a limb and and they 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 do things and and you know you're kind of stuck like oh okay well. You know, let me let me figure out what's going on. Um, I know there's there's some cases and some, you know, some things that I've heard about where, you know, uh, you know, some some person may have gotten fired and they didn't even they didn't even know that they had gotten fired until they're they're doing they're in the middle of a, a press conference or something. And, um, and and the reporters are asking them, they just say, oh, you know, I just got a tweet that this happened. <laughs> and, and now the, the you know the person that the person that happened to, you know, had nothing to do. So and had no was not aware of it. So, you know, it it just kinda it just kinda goes it go, <laughs> it's it's funny. So you gotta you gotta kinda like take that in and kinda as a PR person you have to figure out how are we going to make this okay. So then you you know, so different different things you have to do. Um I don't know what they I don't know what happened. I don't know if that was even like real, but that's that was just that's just some stories that I've heard going on in the uh, going on in the PR world in sports because, you know, it's so fast paced and things are moving so quickly that, you know, you got to be aware of everything. And some things, you know, some things may pass you by and some things may, you know, go past, go past your team and you didn't know. And then the media finds out first. And that's that's one thing that you kind of don't want to happen that's you always want to be on top of everything. So you always have have to have an open line of communication uh, between the organizations, between everybody.
2: And I'm kind of curious, Keon, I'm just trying to like picture it in my mind. So like in a traditional public relations um, team that you're a part of, how many people are working closely to make those types of decisions? Because it seems like, you know, obviously you guys need to in a lot of in a lot of instances really come up with some good uh a, like a good thorough plan in a very short amount of time
0: yeah so it's, it's probably um I, I'd say each team has about four four to five uh people on their PR staff and then on um, game day they bring in uh consultants as well so they bring in another about four or five in this COVID area right now i mean you know it's probably like two or three extra people because you know, you, you're not you're not having fans in the stands. You're not having as much media attending because, uh, you know, the social distancing and all that type of stuff. So uh, it's it's a you know, right now it's a lot smaller, but generally on a game day, you'll probably have like
3: 10, 10 people there. Gotcha. Now you've worked for several organizations in different sports. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you just give our audience a little bit of a comparison between the organizations? Um, how things are handled as well as like maybe differences in between the sports. yeah, I mean, um,
0: the differences are, you know just just the sports itself. like football is different from basketball. So you know the the stories are the stories are pretty much going to be what these players are doing, like during a game, okay? So what these players are doing. So uh, you want to try to capture each story. And each um, each way. So I'll say, for example, in uh, in basketball. Okay, so like uh, you can do you can do so many different. You can do it, it's kind of it's kind of hard to kind of differentiate because they you know it's just the sports itself. But both of them really, you're servicing the in both you're servicing the um, the media. They, you know, whatever they want. I mean, uh, if they need stats, if they need a quote, if they need to get an interview with with uh, Steph Curry or Draymond Green or something like that, it's your job to kind of set that up. So you go and you kind of prep the player on what they want, what the media wants to talk about, or that media member wants to talk about, and then um, and then you go and you you set up the interview. Once he's once he's fine with, bring him over. They do the interview. A lot of times you have to. Um, Record it because you want to make sure it's accurate. So uh, me or, or somebody else in, in the PR staff will record the interview and then we'll go and transcribe it. And once it's transcribed, then uh, we can push it out to the rest of the media. And then that just kind of if you so if you ever read stories or you see stories on ESPN or whatever, any type of thing. And if, they, if it's all like, um, oh, this person said this, well, the, the that's what our job is to get that quote
2: so they can put it in their story to, to uh, fill it out. Gotcha. And Keon, when we're talking about, this is kind of like a more wide scope, how do teams make mistakes in the public relations world? Like what are some things that teams do wrong to kind of, you know, paint a bad picture of their organization potentially?
0: Um. So, so to be honest with you, I have I have been lucky um, all the teams that I've ever worked for and all the teams that I've ever been a part of have had great PR staffs I mean starting from uh, the Houston Texans with uh, Tony Wiley to over at the 49ers I was with uh, Kirk Reynolds these are these are and, and then with, with the um, with the with the Warriors, it's uh Ray Ritter these guys have been around for 25 30 years plus, you know, so they know exactly, you know, the right things to do. And, um, you know, I can't think of any um, too many negative things that, you know, a a PR department has done off the top of my head to kind of to answer that question. But, you know, the, the thing about it is if you don't, if you don't hear, but if you don't hear anything negative, they're doing a good job. So I (laughs) haven't heard, you know, So that's that's the thing.
3: This is a completely uh, unmuzzled show. So we need an example of where maybe you might not have been part of this of this organization that messed up (laughs) or but you've seen an organization. This ain't about skating the line and sitting on the fence line. You got to give us something (laughs) that is up situation that you were like, they completely messed this up. The see see you mavericks. You're playing the political line. This ain't the political line. This is maps. Oh man, I'm, I'm just, bring I'm telling heat. you, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the unmuzzled truth,
0: man. I'm telling you, I'm telling bring you bring what I, I don't like to speak on other people's stuff that, that I don't, that I don't know firsthand. You know, if you I, I, if I don't see... you
3: saw a story, you saw something that you're like, man, that guy messed up. They didn't handle that. Right. That's what our people want to know bring the heat
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> You know what I'm gonna just saying no like I said I don't
0: I don't know that uh, I I don't know that specifically so I can't comment on that. It, you know I am sorry if I can't give you no dirt man but that's just uh that's just just what I know. Like I said man the people I talk about the people that I've been around and 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 that have I've worked with and like I said none of them all of them are like top of the line, man. So it, it's tough. And I, I wish I kind of did have that kind of dirt to uh spew, but I don't.
2: Don't <laughs> let David Turner bully uh, you, Keon. He's, he's, like, he's like he he said that you he said that you guys went to school together, right? It's like we're back in high school and he's trying to bully you a little bit to get some information yeah. out of you, David. Grow up,
3: man. <laughs> I, I'm never as a bully. I just make it happen. But mm-hmm. you know, that being said. How do players – and there's been plenty of players, so you better have an example here. How do players mess up in their PR, and why, what's an example that we can learn from here tonight where you're like, this dude completely f this up. And I'll say this right now. It's breaking news right now. Des Bryant, to me, just pulled a oopsie because Des Bryant got pulled from warmups. He's not playing tonight because he got a positive COVID test, and he went right to Twitter – and he threw up a tweet saying, "This is WTF. You know, how are they going to pull me and get me a positive when I'm supposed to be playing tonight? I mean, See,
0: that that's one of those things that, like, I was given that given that uh, other example about like it just happened at that point. So um, right now, the team is uh, the team is the team is probably at the game. <laughs> They're probably getting ready to." Uh, kick off i think it starts at what five o'clock or what
3: five it's five four minutes yeah
0: yeah so they're 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 probably concentrating on that game i'm sure that they've seen it but um and i'm sure that they're going to talk to uh des brian about that situation about like hey you know you can't you can't do those type of things it puts us in a bad light now that we can't really focus on the game we gotta we gotta deal with this um but what they're going to do is uh What I think they are going to do is uh, they'll say, "Oh yeah, we are aware of the situation. Uh, We're going to handle it in house." Things like that. That way, it's not going to, you know, they'll talk to Dez or they'll do whatever, do whatever they need to do to him. But um, it's it it won't go. It won't. It hopefully it won't go public. Like too much more public than you know what it is now. Man, it was just you know this Twitter world.
3: Do they blew it up with this was on this talking? I mean, it's kinda, instantaneous. Yeah. The, yeah, it's boom,
0: you push in, it's right there. So uh another one, um, what's his name? He's on the bucks now. Uh Antonio Bryant, he was another one that kind of like he goes off. <laughs> you know, he goes off and they and they had to talk to him. Some players are like so good that they're going to they're going to uh you know, uh, sweep it under the rug or let him do what he, what he needs to do. And then if something bigger happens to him, they're going to bring that back up to him. So, you know, you got to – we just kind of tell tell the players in a, a – every year we do a um, – every year we do a like a, a media session with the players, like before the season starts to kind of give them like examples, like, look, don't do this, don't do that, you know, uh, uh, you know, be respectful of, you know, be respectful of the media. These guys c- can do two things. They can, they can be with you or they, they can be against you, you know, so just kind of stay, y- you want to, you want to tote that, you want to tote that line of you guys are all professional. So act accordingly. And again, like, you know, some of these players are very young, man, and, and they want to, you know, they think that they can, you know, do um, whatever they want. You know, and in a sense, they can, but it's going to come with consequences. And a lot of those consequences we have to deal with. But not only us, it's, it's going to be them as well.
2: Mm-hmm. And Keon, that, that kind of that kind of brings me a little bit. To, you, you already answered it to a degree, but I was wondering about you mentioned, you know, before the season, you might have a sit down like, oh, you know, the ref, how you guys reflect the organization. I'm sure you have the, those talks constantly yeah. Is there is there anything separate where like if a if a Antonio Brown like you mentioned comes onto your team where like the public relation will work with them even closer than just like a full group uh, kind of atmosphere? Like, are they working with guys a little more intently at any points? Yes, uh,
0: absolutely. I mean uh, that that that's going to be part of their job, you know, because every like like Antonio Brown coming into the Buccaneers uh, now that he's. I'm sure he's talking. I'm sure, like their PR guys, talking to him every day. Like, look, man, just just stay the course. Just keep keep saying this, or you know, don't 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 be on Twitter uh, <laughs> throwing uh, rants out. You know, to just kind of keep our name keep our name good. As long as you do that, you'll stay. You'll you'll be here, because I mean, I don't think he's putting up great numbers this year. So you know, they can they can kind of they can kind of have a way to get rid of him if they want and i think they even put that out there at the beginning when they signed him like hey you know we just we just testing him out here so that's a uh, you know and, and the and the bad part about it is i like the guy <laughs> you know he's he's he, I, I think he's uh, I think he's funny at times man but you know sometimes you you got to you got to keep yourself in check right
3: yeah i now, think you know, with players you know I, I grace and i did a, a seminar not too long ago talking about this where you know they don't realize they, they, the the crew around them hype them up to the point where they can say anything inside the crew but then when they get outside that crew and they start getting onto the twitterverse or in social media instagram posts they uh they turn off sponsors they turn off people that might you know they might not want to turn off because it, it could be a secondary income or they can get in trouble where they're make it a statement or a comment that affects the organization's sponsors and ticket sales and stuff, which then ultimately costs them either their job or an uncomfortable conversation with the organization that they then have to retract a statement or something because they don't understand. I mean it's cool to have the, you know, forty thousand followers on Twitter or whatever. But again, as soon as you hit send, it gets retweeted and then all of a sudden blown up to the point where, you know, a hundred a million people see it within a matter of minutes. And I can only imagine that nightmare for you guys as uh, PR staffs trying to protect the organization and the player at the same time. Yeah. I mean, it's, like I said, it's not easy and it, and it, it, it's a lot of meetings
0: going into that about, you know, how we can, how, uh, what can we do to, you know, to kind of get this right or get this, at least uh, to where it's not on ESPN or hopefully not on, like, regular news. Or uh, I forgot the show with um, the first take. Yeah, Not first take. (laughs) I'm talking about, like, national news. Like, you know, you don't don't want to
3: take like this show. You don't want us. Exactly. You don't want to have that. I mean, because if we got it, you're in trouble because, you know, all our listeners are going to, we're going (laughs) to blow it up. I and mean, honestly, man, this is like
0: one of the best shows that I've, I've listened to, man. Like this is a, I, I love, I love, I love listening to you guys, man. It's, it's, it's one of the good ones. And I do have my uh Mav sports take shirt too, though. Thanks Dave for uh, sending <laughs> that to me. I should have had it, it on, but. Gear.
3: You always got to have gear. Yeah, no, man, and yeah. Ryan carries this. Show. I'm just the anchor that weighs him down on this show. But you know, you know. It, so coming up in the process, coming up, we're going to see the coaching car- carousel already in full swing. How will the organizations, whether it be college or pro, start handling? Like right now, a big hot topic is Jim Harbaugh. Does he deserve an extension, or does he deserve the street? Like, which way is it going to go with him at Michigan? So, how does organizations start setting up the PR? for these conversations one way or another well though i mean you, you got to look at like the two ways if if, if you want to have two
0: different uh, you want to have two different uh press releases set up if he goes or if he stays <laughs> you know so if he goes then you guys say hey, you know we thank we thank uh jim harbaugh for all his time here he's a, he's a great guy i said he got us to where you know we we weren't before um or if he stays, you're like, oh, you know, we're looking forward to what he's going to bring next year. You know, it's just it's just different ways you gotta you gotta be prepared for it. Um other coaches that's I mean, other coaches that's on the thing, you, you uh, what happens is we'll just kind of do our research, see what other highlights. We'll get a lot of their stats, like uh with Eric Bienemy, for example. Um he'll, you know, he's he has Patrick Mahomes just going crazy. So that that's one of the things that we'll highlight when if a if a team brings him on as their head coach, like how he brought the Chiefs, helped bring the Chiefs offense to uh to like one of the great one of the greatest offenses that we've seen, you know. So um you just kind of whatever coach it is on there. You, you have to do a lot of research, just just like as a as a as a scout, like you got to you got to do your research on these certain players. You got to do your researches on coaches, GMs, everybody and, and seeing who um, what they have, what they have positive that they can bring to the organization. And that's what you're going to highlight.
2: Well, luckily at NFL Draft Bible, we do have scouting reports on coaches, on general managers. We got all that ready for you, Keon. Last thing we wanted to talk to you about, and I know we're uh, a little over time with you. How did you, how did you get involved with Applied Silver? When I was talking about it, doing the intro a little bit, we had when we had Ian Williams on a few mm-hmm. weeks ago. He talked about it a little in depth. Tell us about Applied Silver and the what they're doing to better this world.
0: Oh right. um applied silver man, I actually got a call from um one of uh one of the guys that I work with and he he was like, Hey, I'm I'm working with this company, man, and they uh they have a really good product and I just think they need some some help kind of getting the word out, pushing the word. So I, I was like, Okay, and this was uh coming from a guy that uh you know you kind of can't say no to, you know. Everybody knows those guys. Um but <laughs> But so I, I took a look at it and I said, oh, OK, yeah, this is this is pretty this is really good. And I think it's like new wave, new wave stuff. And everybody's going to have to need it. What it is, basically, they've created a product that um, that kills staph and MRSA infection. And it's done through the laundry, uh, through the laundry cycle, the rent cycle of the laundry. Um, so you basically you the teams wash their gear and their and their uh, gear becomes antimicrobial and it uh and so it kill in it, it, its re- re- uh, residual so it keeps killing once once the uh once the silver clean gets on your clothes so now if you go out and you're playing uh if you're playing in a game well you don't have to worry about catching uh, you know if you get a cut or something you don't have to worry about it because it's on yeah your, your uh, closer your uniform is already antimicrobial and now it's also known to kill covid so a lot of a lot of a uh, a lot of teams are now I, I think they have like six teams using it um, now i think the 49ers the saints the texans jaguars lions and cowboys so they're in like almost you know uh, what 20% of teams are using it right now so it's something that uh that i think is going to catch on and and, and continue to move forward man and it's just such a such a great such a great product man i'm i you know like i said once once i first heard about it i was like i'm on board so my job my job with them is basically kind of just get the word out like when ian was on with you guys a couple of weeks ago i was the (laughs) i'm pretty much the person that set that up so you know i'll call david or you know call david up and say hey dave I think you need to talk to this guy. You know, he'll talk sports with you and, and you know, he'll also uh, tell you a little bit about what's going on with uh with this product and how it's helped him and stuff like that. So that's uh, that's another way that we can in- incorporate
2: sports with uh with Applied Silver and with with PR. Absolutely. I know Dr. David probably has big interest in this. Right, David? No,
3: I think it's a great product. And honestly, when uh, a Keon approached me, I think I was at a game at the Niner Stadium or something, and he pulled me aside and we started talking to one of the guys involved with this product. And I thought it was just a, a magical, almost a product because of this was before COVID. But as a person, I've had some MRSA before, and then to know what a big impact that was on me, and then to hear what they could do and how it continues to kill even after it's out of the cycle and keep those, uh, those, um, I don't want to call them particles, but I mean, I don't know what they're called disease uh, particles uh, off the uniforms and everything. It's just, it's, it was a great product. And I think it is going to be something that ultimately goes international with its, uh, application from soccer teams to lacrosse teams, volleyball teams, everything. I think this could be a product that, you know, ultimately could get a sponsorship with like the the Olympics or something to have them, you know, sponsor it and support it because it keeps people safe. And then once they told me COVID was also killed by this product, uh, it just became even more valuable, um, I think, in the marketplace as far as keeping players safe and healthy. So I liked it a lot.
2: Absolutely, absolutely, and here we are again, Mister Keon Johnson. Keon, we appreciate all the time you have given us tonight. If you want to real quick, uh, just plug your social media, any other uh, things that that people should be aware of, where they can find uh, find you.
0: Oh, okay, yeah. Um, I'm just on Instagram at Keon Johnson 422, um, Facebook, Twitter, uh, same same thing in Keon Johnson. Uh, but one real quick story. Uh, you know how i uh ran back into dave man this was this was this is a funny story and i do have to tell it cuz i think he started <laughs> off telling the story but he didn't finish so oh, uh, again david and i uh graduated from dallas out together back um uh, i'm not afraid to uh in 94 so uh, damn put us on I hadn't blast, seen bro i hadn't seen david in man i want to say almost like 10-15 years or something like that and I'm working a game, a 49er game, and we're going to get a hot dog. I'm going to get a hot dog in line. <laughs> it's time, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he was in front of me and I, and so David is a little shorter than me, so Just a I tad. had to look down and I'm tad. like, oh my goodness, that. Uh, I had to tap him. I was like, is that Dave? DJ Dave? it's like, oh, my goodness. So it was, it was just crazy how we just ran back. And that was like the first time I'd seen him in years. And we see each other at, in the 49ers press box. So that was that was pretty awesome. And then after that, we kind of been in touch, uh, we, you know, for the last, what, 10, 10 years, 12? Somewhere yeah, around there?
3: 12 years, something like that now. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, it was. It was just a lot older to
3: me.
2: Ah. David, guess how, old, guess how old I was when I was in uh, 1994? You
3: were probably two.
2: Three, you're close. Three.
3: Yeah, okay. Oh yeah. All right, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I gotta go now. Yeah, that's, that's, I, that's why I, when you started putting us on blast, man, I'm like, yo, you don't got to be doing that. I didn't, I didn't realize Ryan was not. that young, man. I thought we, I thought he was up there with us. No, he got a, you know, he got a, he's a puppy. I got a puppy I'm over getting, here I'm,
2: now. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I, David <laughs> makes it, this makes it feel, David feel better about himself being on with a young gun. You know <laughs> this is how it works.
3: I'm it getting, does. Yeah. It, it makes me feel younger about myself. Absolutely. <laughs>
2: well Keon, again really appreciate you coming on tonight man we'll definitely have to have you come on again i appreciate all the time and wishing you the best of health i know out there it's a little shadier than here is here in new jersey so wishing you all the best
0: i appreciate it man thank you guys for having me man again
3: love the show yeah thank you very much we'll talk soon key all right buddy
2: All right. Well, David, we got it. We got a little glimpse into a different world, honestly, a world that I am not too well versed in. Quick takeaway from our conversation with Keon and maybe something that stuck with you. Well,
3: you know, I got obviously emerged into this stuff is when I was in in Miami with the Dolphins and you would notice like any wrong step, any misstep or positive step. I mean, I think what gets blown up, in the media, more than anything, is the missteps, right? That's what catches fire quick. Those are the matches that spark and just take off. Uh, but these PR organ, these PR teams are often small teams, and they got to manage like all the Twitter accounts for the coaches, all the Twitter accounts for the players. And when I say manage, they got to follow them. They got to know these people. They got to promote what's good about them and then like head off the, the firestorms before they take, they take too much root. Like you heard them say, like, you know, if, if a local reporter starts running with a, a, a report on something, they try to cut it off before it gets to ESPN or, you know, math sports take or all these, you know, things that go on now. Um, so the organization doesn't, you know, have to run interference on a bigger story than you know stuff that we've highlighted on smaller stuff. So, you know, I really, I, I've gotten a peek into it. So when Key and I were talking the other day about, it, I'm like, yeah, let's have you on the show. Let's bring this to the marketplace so people know that the, you know, what's going on behind the scenes to help support the good stuff the team's doing, but also help manage. You know, when people make mistakes and missteps and and help uh, damage control what's going on. And I think you saw that on a grand scale with the Colin Colin Kaepernick thing, like the whole PR organizations, not only for each individual team, but the league how to, you know, manage their initial misstep on that. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, start correcting their mistakes. And then you see things from an individual team by team basis and, there are times when it sparks, you know, league wide response, uh, when it came to like, uh, Mr. Sam's, uh, Michael Sam's getting, you know, um, drafted and then, you know, a player from the dolphins tweeted out the wrong thing. And that became a league wide response. So I think it's a world that if people listen to this episode, they hopefully got a little peek into it and see how big of a world it really is. And, uh, how much it drives sponsorship dollars, not only for the player, but for the team, for the organizations.
2: Yeah. And I, I think one thing that's really interesting about it is we asked them a little bit about mistakes and missteps that maybe teams take or with play, I mean, with teams, they they take with players talking about the public relations team. For, for me, I was thinking like, it has to be kind of like trial by error to a degree, right? Like, I don't think that there's there's like no absolute answers to every single situation. So like for me, it's like they're putting their heads together. They're trying to find the best, uh, the best solution to what the situation or the best course of action for a solution. But in the end, they might look back with hindsight and be like, you know, that wasn't the right way. But maybe next time we'll have a better understanding of how to go about something. So it's like trial by error a ton.
3: It is, but it's such a high price stake. You know, you don't want to make the error. The error margin is really small. So I really, like I said, I've gotten to work with some of the best in the business. um, When Harvey Green down in Miami and uh, the guys up in New York, I mean, talking about New York media, having them to like, you know, you know, Pat, and those guys up there, the Giants, and then going over to uh, Mike Taylor and then Will Kiss now at the uh, Las Vegas Raiders back then, Oakland Raiders. I mean, you're talking about oh, the Raiders, who is one of the most historic franchises in all sports, right? So, you know, people watch what happened there. So the pressure that are on to, to get it right day in and day out is just immense.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And we want to transition to we've been talking about a lot in recent weeks coaches vacancies that are already available gm vacancies that are already available there's going to be a a high influx of new people and new positions all across the league before we do i want to let everybody know out there i want to let you all know this and this broke my heart david turner texted me about an hour ago and this it's really cut me so I, i want to go here before we get too serious if anybody listens to me if anybody follows nfl draft bible if anybody follows myself, Rise and Draft on Twitter. We are live, by the way, on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, on David's Facebook. I don't know who saw his Facebook. But <laughs> if you follow me, if you follow me, you know that I have an affinity for Mr. Carson Strong, who is a 2021 draft eligible quarterback out of the University of Nevada. Is he gonna declare? I don't know. I actually have an interview with him tomorrow, though, on a side note. But I will say I think four- affinity
3: is nice. I think you have more of a love affair with him.
2: Oh, man. I'm telling you, David, I'm telling you, the kid's got all the goods. Very, very good. He's a redshirt sophomore, though. So will you declare? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Probably not. Me. I don't know. I don't even want to say probably not, because I think if he declares, I really, truly believe this. And this is not inside. So this is just my eyes telling me what I see and, and the little I know about the kid as far as character wise think he's gonna be a first-round pick i really do i'm really well, there
3: murphy liked him too this morning on the show they were talking joe and them were talking and, and john right. murphy really likes him too so
2: all right well david look, let's let's take this into the film room real quick you watched <laughs> three games of him from what you told me what did you see what did you like what did you not like too much
3: what i saw was a uh a taller ang- angular quarterback that had a good short um good quick release short uh, throwing motion compact throwing motion I should call it um, you know I thought he had good arm talent good arm strength the to deliver the ball you know in time with his receivers saw windows well didn't really put ball in jeopardy of getting uh, intercepted the things that I was surprised not to see because of the way you and John talk about him what I didn't see to me was the, the velocity for outside the number throws and sideline throws. So when I was watching him and the ball would be carrying outside, the, the velocity for the ball wasn't something that I was like, wow, that ball just jumped out of his hand and carried outside like on a way that you, you thought this guy had a rocket arm. And, and then I started watching his ball placement. So even between the numbers – the receivers were having to make adjustments to catch his ball. So either it was back shoulder stuff. It was underneath or there, I'm sorry, low throws, high throws, um, a little bit behind the receiver type stuff. And I'm like, he's not making easy catches. He's not giving these receivers easy catches. They're having to work for him. So these are things, again, if he goes back, he puts a little weight on, because I think right now he's about 215. You can ask him in an interview, but I don't think he's a 225 or a 230 guy.
2: When I talked to him, he told me he was actually only 210 before the season. So I would I would say he's probably 210, 215-ish right now.
3: Yeah, and see, I think if he goes back, he can get to the 220, 225 mark, which yep. in turn can help him with that velocity. And then if he works, the one thing I'm noticing, his foot, his footwork isn't strong. So, like, when you watch uh, Drew Brees, his base is strong. He generates his power from his footwork, and the ball comes out of his hand, but he starts his throw emotion from his feet, right? With strong, he's using his, uh, his arm too much, and he's generating a lot of torque on that shoulder. So he needs to put some more strength into that shoulder and some, some better footwork into his training. So therefore he can generate his power from his footwork and taking some tension off that arm. This way, again, that arm will last longer if he has better footwork when throwing the ball um, and to go deeper into a career. And I think these are things that if he goes back for a year, he could correct. And then next year, You know he would even be deeper into the first round as arm talent. I think right now he would get selected, but if he only weighs in at like say two ten, and he plays naturally at two o five, that's going to be a a quarterback that I I I mean you just don't see that body frame really be impactful in the NFL. You don't,
2: Uh, David. He's coming, man. Carson Strong's coming, baby. Best deep ball thrower in college football, and I disagree with that. Like, Do you see – oh, man, he puts some balls out there, man. Easy. He's flat-footed, and I agree. His footwork is not no, – nowhere near where it needs to be. But I'm looking just raw talent there. He's His feet are not set. He's flicking it. It's just upper body, and, man, he's put it out Did there 55-plus. Here, here's like the
3: thing. Easy. That's the thing where coaches get pissed at us scouts, okay? Because we're like, here's a raw bowl of, you know, of talent. Go develop it, coach. And it's like the reality is you want to give your coach the best product available, you know? And right now, you know, this is where I'll disagree with you and John. Like a a Trask, who I'm in love with his footwork, (laughs) he doesn't have the strength. He does not have the arm strength that Strong has, okay? But a guy like Trask has better mechanical motion. He has a better mechanic, a lower body mechanics. He, ab- he absolutely delivers ball in the right position for his receivers to gain yards after catch. I mean, he, he throws great touch passes. This is a complete product where if you hand your coach this guy, you might not have a guy that has a rocket arm but your receivers are going to love the ball coming from Trask because it's going to be right in the right position every time. And, and they're going to give him the opportunity to run after the catch and make plays with their feet. And and then again, when you're down by this, the end zones and you're throwing those touch passes or those back shoulder or those out in front things, it's on a dime like trash just throws great balls. And I, I know we're way different on this, but I'm one that I've sat in enough rooms and John, has signed enough rooms too. we've had the opportunity to to hear coaches be like man this kid's got all the talent to get me fired because you know he's got all this talent but if i don't develop it and i don't get it out of him i'm going to be the one on the street getting fired and you never want to put your coach in that situation that's why for me again a guy like strong he can come out someone can get enamored with him He's going to sit behind somebody one or two years. He can wind up be like an Aaron Rodgers. Again, Aaron Rodgers was way better than this strong kid, but he sat behind Brett Favre for two years until they gave him the keys to the car, right? He could wind up being that guy, developing for a couple years before he gets the keys to the car. Or he can go back to school, develop it on his own, and next year when he gets drafted, he'll be the guy. You know, because then he'll be ready. Because he'll have worked on the he'll worked on the things he needs to work on, which is footwork, getting stronger in the weight room, working on it, getting his weight up, and then boom, you're the guy. Come next year, or you're going to sit behind somebody coming into the league. Because I don't think anybody who needs a day one starter is going to say, "Strong, you're my day one starter." I don't no, see. No,
2: I get that. I completely get that. And this is why I love the evaluation, the scouting process, because two people see things very differently. John saw, I think, similar to me. I don't think he was as enamored as I am from what I what I heard from him this morning on the show. But I think that he is a little further, obviously, to my side than yours. The one thing I'll, I'll ask you, and I'm generally curious about your opinion on this, right? So, like, I ag- I don't even disagree with you. I think that that Kyle Trask today is more suitable to go into an NFL locker room and play football than Carson Strong. My question is people are talking now about maybe Kyle Trask in the first round. I'm telling you right now, I think that Carson Strong could be a first round pick. My, my general question to you is when you're picking in the first round, you're taking a quarterback. Aren't you swinging for the fences rather than, trying to hit a single or a double with a guy like Trask cuz yes could it does is Trask's floor quote unquote higher than Carson Strong's absolutely but i would argue that Carson Strong's ceiling is much higher than a guy like Kyle Trask's
3: it depends again it depends on your quarterback current situation if i'm if i'm a situ, if i'm a team like the Falcons or Detroit Lions where i have a quarterback for the next 2 years at least both Stafford mm-hmm. and Ryan Great, I think they can be very good quarterbacks for another two to three years, right? I think we're both on that. Sure. So then you have a guy like Strong, you take in the first round and you let him sit behind those guys while he develops, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Great situation. If I'm a sure. team like, say, the the uh Washington football team, where Haskins is not your guy, you like a guy like uh that you have in Alex Smith, a guy mm-hmm. like Trask fits your mold better than other people in the draft that you'll see at where you're going to be drafting, you know, because you're not going to be in the fields run. You're not going to be in the Lawrence run. So you're going to be sitting in the next group. So to me, a guy like Trask would walk into fit with that organization and what they're looking for better than a strong, because again, Mm -hmm. if Alex Smith goes down with an injury next year, you know, or at the end of this year, for some reason, whatever it says, I'm done. I I want to just prove I can come back and that's it, which I don't see for Alex. It's just not who he is. Um, But if he goes down next year with an injury, you can go legitimately bring Trask in and be comfortable playing with him next year. So when you're drafting and you're looking at organizations and you're looking at where they're drafting in the first round, I think that's going to play into decision-making on who, who takes them, and who, what they're looking for, what they want, you know?
2: Well, no, we're, and we're on the same page with that because I, in my recent – well, not recent. It was a few weeks ago now, my mock draft with the NFL Draft Bible, I did have Strong going in the first round, but I think it was like at the time 26th overall selection, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I had him going under Tom Brady potentially for a year. Bruce Arians is a vertical passing offense connoisseur. I felt like that fit with a guy like Carson Strong and that offense sitting behind Brady for maybe a year to two would be a very good situation for him potentially.
3: But so that organization's already made a commitment to getting the former first pick from the cardinals over there. And you know, he's, he's the sitting there.
2: Squad. He's on the he's, but I'm squad. saying they made yeah. the
3: commitment to him already. So, you know, he's already there. I would think putting a weapon for Tom and putting uh offensive line better together for that, you know, for that team. Would make better sense for a first round pick if Brady's gonna stay there and and Arians is gonna be the coach there. Um and they're gonna try to make that marriage work, it's gonna be better to do that than than put a pick a guy for down the line. You see what I'm saying?
2: No, no, I get it. I get it. And I, I think there's a lot of different ways that you can go about the, the conversation and, and the route that they could potentially take. And I just at that point in the draft, I didn't love what the offensive tackles were left on the board, and I was just in my mind, I was like, you know, Brady has, what, maybe one year? Because I know he's defying father time right now. He does not look that good 43. this year. Let's just be
3: honest. He does not look like the old Tom Brady. His arm oh, yeah. strength is way
2: down, way down. I mean, I mean, but it shouldn't, right? I mean, he's forty three years old. He's almost as old as you. Should, I mean, could you play hey, in the NFL? Hey, you know, hey. I'm,
3: I'm, I'm pretty good for forty five now. Relax over there. You're, you're
2: the you're in the best shape of your life, almost, right? So almost. I mean, you're, you're doing great, man. You're doing absolutely great. I'm just saying, Tom Brady's doing pretty well for his age. He's kind of you know defying a lot of odds, even if he's not playing incredibly well. He's still, you know, he's still doing pretty well. Like, let's be honest, when you when and you kind of think- the context.
3: He is, and if they honestly, if they add a good running back for him and they add some offensive line, Tom Brady will be fine. And he has more drop passes from from running backs out of the backfield than I think anybody else at this oh point. So,
2: it's so I, bad. We're it's getting so away bad. from
3: topic as we normally do, so let's get back to where we were headed before.
2: Okay, okay, back to where we were heading was we're going to talk about the interview process because a lot, again, a lot of general manager positions, a lot of head coach positions, are going to be open and available. And we want to talk about the uh, the handling of the interview process and why it's broken. And we're going to talk about a few different reasons why this interview process is broken. First, and David, I didn't even know much about this one. No hiring freeze for 14 days after the season ends. Give us a little context on this one, David. 14 this days is, after the season.
3: This is one that I'm really in a big support for because and, and again, I think it should go for college and pro sports. I mean right now, you already saw the University of South Carolina hiring beamer, you know the uh the son of the great coach from um, larry be uh was a beamer from v tech and oh, yeah. you know yeah, it was the day after the season ended for South Carolina, so I'm just like, you know, how can any kind of minority candidate or candidates that are deserving of interviews? be brought in, be zoomed in, how can you actually say you've digested every possible candidate if you're a ru- you're rushing to worry about recruiting, you're rushing to worry about getting the right assistant coaches, you're rushing and worrying about you know, what your opponent is doing in order to be ready for their season. So if you invoke a hiring freeze to college football and NFL football for 14 days past or after the regular season is over. Now you're not losing ground. Nobody's gaining ground on you. And all the deserving candidates have an opportunity to interview for the jobs that are open and available. And this way, you, everybody can get a fair shake. And at even the playing field. Right there, just by having an eve, uh, having a hiring freeze, just a fourteen-day hiring freeze, and let's just talk NFL. The NFL season has four weeks to go. At the conclusion of that, you can fire anybody you want. You can say we're moving on from these people. Pack your stuff. You ain't got to go home, but you got to get out of here, right? And mm-hmm. but you just cannot hire anybody for fourteen days. That puts two weeks of playoffs in the books, so anybody who's in those first two weeks can then go go interview. It gives you a chance to have one or even two rounds of interviews. So if you want to interview five people the first week of the postseason, interview them. You want to bring two back for the second round of interview, you have the time now to do it. And there's no rush because you cannot hire an assistant coach, you cannot hire a general manager, nobody for 14 days
2: my question is like we see a lot of organizations let go of those positions at different spots in the season and while it might not be official interviews right like people talk during the season after people are let go is it a hundred percent equitable to teams that are in maybe different situations during the season if that makes sense
3: you know I don't think I think by keeping it an, an absolute
2: um,
3: solid thing that you cannot hire for two weeks after the season, then it allows the owners, the GMs, whoever the decision makers are to be able to run the process of evaluating your current staff all the way through. So again, you don't have to, as we call it Black Monday, right? The Sunday games happen, and then Black Monday, people walk in and they get their pink slip. You don't have to worry about right. that. You, the owners can walk in. Maybe they're, they're this way. They're not making an emotional decision. Monday, Tuesday comes to be. They settle down. They're like, okay, I'm gonna now with a cooler head. This is the right decision. I'm gonna make it. Let's go. And again, in situations where like the Falcons are gonna be hiring a GM and a and a coach.
2: Hmm.
3: You might say, okay, if you're doing a double hire, you can hire your GM first, seven days after the season's over, and then you can hire your head coach 14 days after the season. If that's the model you want to go for, because you're doing a double hire, right? Mm -hmm. I like that because obviously I'm a GM top organization type person. I'm not a coach top. You know, anybody who's a coach top, they're like, well, what if I want to hire my coach and then let them hire the GM? Should I be able to hire a coach first? No. I'm saying hire your GM first, then you hire your coach. But that's my model. That's the way I'm going to stick to it. But, and again, as long, and again, there's a hiring freeze. I think any kind of hiring freeze for seven to 14 days after gives everybody who's a qualified candidate an opportunity to interview. And the more we get these people qualified interviews, then they have a chance to make an impression and then get a job right now. Everybody's rushing to decision-making so they can hire the best coaching staff, so they can hire the best personnel people. It's so much of a rush. It becomes a cluster. And then all of a sudden we get these quote unquote minority interviews that always make people mad. They're like, Oh, they're just interviewing that person to get, get by the uh, requirement and move on, you know? Right. And I, and again, if they weren't rushed to make a decision, maybe they give those quality minority candidates more time to interview. You might see more women interviewed for positions. You might see more minorities interviewed for positions. It might not just be one guy in done. It could be two or three guys because there's no rush to decision. That's my whole point with the 14-day freeze because – I want a lack of rush to decision. I want to take that pressure away from owners. So they're not like, if I don't make this decision, Oh no, then this guy's going to make it. And then we're going to be behind them and all that stuff. You know, I think that's what they were trying to do with this whole draft pick compensational thing was trying to entice people to, you know, you know, interview and hire um, that way. But I think that's honest to God. It's like uh, John brought up this morning on the morning show there's a good qualified G- assistant GM for one of the NFC uh, South's uh, team. Now, if they go hire that guy away from the other team, it's like giving an opponent two third round picks, you know, by hiring that guy away. And it's like, wow, I don't want to give my opponent a thir- an extra third round pick by hiring the guy I want to bring over here. Sure, you, you know, like that. That's got, yeah. now it's part of the strategy. So that's keeping somebody out of a job because you don't want them to have to gain gain on you. Well, how about a hiring freeze? Let's entice everybody with time. Give everybody time to do their job.
2: Yeah, and, and you mentioned uh, kind of the next point we want to talk about a little bit with hiring of minorities. And I always felt like this, David. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. Like. Because I always try to be very empathetic. I try to put myself in people's shoes. It's not. It's not easy all the time, right? Like, and I always tell like the students that I have, like, I really am trying to understand hundred percent, like, what you're feeling. But unfortunately, you can never completely feel that way. But I'm just thinking, like, the rule, right? Where like you have to, you have to interview a, minor, a minority uh, assistant for head coaching positions, all this type of stuff. For me, like, I'm thinking, like. If I was that coach who was a minority and was going up for a position in my mind, I'm thinking I'm only here because this, because this rule is in place because they have to allow me to have this interview. I'm the token person that they chose to, 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 um, to interview for this. And I just, I've always really pushed back against just that thought process in general.
3: Well, I have, plenty of friends who are minorities that are in the, you know, in the game, in the scouting world, in the coaching world, and every single one of them down to a man and said, I don't want to get the job just because I'm a minority. They want to get it because I'm the best qualified candidate. Mm -hmm. And to me, the only way you can, you know, like a draft board, when you're, when you're talking best quarterbacks, right. It's their
2: traits. and Strong, sure. Good.
3: Who's terrible? All right, no, I'm not (laughs) terrible. It's on the the podcast
2: because uh,
3: because I I, I get tired of you love fest. But let's say when you're comparing quarterbacks, you're going to talk about their traits and do they fit my system and do they come from a you know a system that's going to make it easily transferable from college to pros and this and that, right? So Mm -hmm. if you have We've been, well, we, what do we always say, Ryan? You do your homework. You have to do your homework. You have to write your scouting report. You have to talk to the people on campus about them. It takes time. So to encourage more minority interviews, to me, you have to encourage giving the owners more time to do their homework, to do their research. So they talk about or they hire these search firms all the time and they trust the search firm. To do their job, but a lot of times these search firms literally talk to some agents that represent some guys, and they take that and they they ride it up, make it look pretty in a little dossier, and they give it to the owner. But the owner himself has not. I mean, they run other businesses; they got a lot of things going on. They don't have the time to really dive into every candidate, or I don't know how you hire Pat, Matt Patricia, um, you know, to be your coach. Um, I mean, being honest about it, it's like you know Get this guy. Counsel.
2: He has a nice pencil, a nice sheet that he doesn't write on.
3: Yeah. I mean Sorry. he's just yeah, you. You know, but I'm just saying, like, you know, he's he's a guy that, you know, is a dictator. Like you've heard all week, all the players around there's like, yeah, when the dictator's gone, we can now have fun, we can loosen up and, you know, be ourselves again and enjoy football and play a game. So if you don't have the time to do the homework, then you need to give them time to do the homework. And I'm gonna I'm gonna beat that all the time because I do I truly think By giving owners more time to to interview minority candidates, not just the one to get by the rule, but two and three, giving them exposure to to, to qualified candidates, no matter what the color of their skin is, you'll find that they wind up hiring the right people for the right jobs. And there are great minority candidates right now that are waiting for the GM job. Marty Mayhew. I mean, think about Marty Mayhew. He's out in San Francisco. He's only 55 years old. He's been a GM before. Uh, Jerry Reese, two Super Bowl rings sitting on his on his fingers. uh, Can't, you know, ready, willing to be able to do it. Guys like Ray Farmer, Eric Stokes, um, you know, uh, what's Lakes for uh, gosh, Lake Dawson. Uh, who's up at Buffalo? Who's part of the, you know, that brain trust up in Buffalo that's building this great team up there? Uh, you got Mo- Morocco, Morocco Brownie at the Colts. I mean, I'm just sitting here off the top of my head. I don't have a list of people not in front of me, but these are great minority candidates that if the Jacksonville Jaguars, the uh, Atlanta Falcons, Houston Texans, and You know, other places that have GM jobs open right now have time to interview two or three of them on top of having time to interview the guys like Ed Dodds, George Payton, Trent Krishner, Scott Fitterer, you know, these other guys that are, are qualified candidates. If you give the owners time to interview five, six, seven people, you'll find out less mistakes are being made. You know, you know, there's again, great guys on the street like John Dorsey sitting there waiting for a second opportunity. But why does he deserve a second opportunity over Jerry Reese? You right. know, Jerry's got two Super Bowl rings. So I David, just, you know. need to make
2: your own hiring committee. You know them all, man. Call, hire David Turner to make that decision. Then he can hire himself as the uh, director of player personnel, right?
3: Well, no, shoot. I would love, I would honestly <laughs> love to, uh, to be a part of a committee to help a, a team put qualified candidates in in a list and uh, get them interviewing. Cause again, I've been mm-hmm. in the trenches with these guys for 18 years. I know them inside and out. I know the kind of work ethics they have and character they have. Um, it's not even a question. If I could put the right list together, I would, I've already put it out on Twitter several times uh, yeah. for people to look. It's free. They don't even to pay me for it. They just go to Mavs Twitter and Mav, find it
2: Mav underscore sports. He's already solved. Yeah. The, the world's problems and people just need to take a look. So go, go check out Mav underscore sports. That, that's all you <laughs> need to do. Um, one thing we wanted to talk about, the rounds of interviews during this process. Obviously, you're elongating this interview process to make this the most comprehensive search to find the correct candidates. How many rounds are too much? How many rounds aren't enough? What in the ideal world is this actual hiring process looking like through the interviews?
3: I, you know when I hear of the regular business world do hiring, okay for positions, it's often a three round system. They usually bring mm-hmm. in a big pool, then they consolidate that for the second round, and then they bring in the head to head people whoever's in in position for that third round. I think if you go to any organization outside of sports and they're doing director level positions or C level positions, it's often three rounds of interviewing to get a job. And that's what I would love to see sports go to. Um, I think people, again, are too fast to rush these things. And they typically need to slow it down, slow the process down. I would love to have the time to do three rounds of interviewing so you can have a big pool of seven to 10 care, you know, seven to 10 interviews for your head coaching job, seven to 10 interviews for your GM job, you know, seven to 10 interviews for your offensive coordinator job. What's the big deal? It's only lack of time. That's the only thing that's keeping them from doing this. So, you know, if you can have that and then have a second round where you have a pool of five and then bring it down to head to head competition, bring them in for that that final, this is, you know, we're going to make our decisions between these two people, Um, I think it would be great to see that in sports. I think the candidates would be appreciative of actually earning the job at that point because they know they've gone through three rounds to get them to earn the spot. So I, I see three rounds being ultimately the way, but only if there's enough time to do it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that one thing that would, that would solve a little bit, because I think we see it so much retreads, retreads drive me crazy, especially in the coaching world some of these guys, man, I'm just looking, I'm just like, how do they keep getting jobs? Because like you're saying, they're rushing to decisions and not being comprehensive with their search. So good candidates are getting pushed to the, floor, uh, to, to the side. And hey, maybe next year, friend, maybe next year when a team finally wises up and goes, hey, maybe we need to be a little more in depth with this. And we need to find the right position, right person and, uh, ex- uh, on opposed to the Known commodity, which might not be that great of a commodity to start with,
3: right? And the retreads, like I said, sometimes are deserving of a second chance. But sure, when you, but again, you got the. You know, I'm going to take the coaches in in particular. Here. You have certain coaches that have they're on their fourth or fifth chances. It's crazy, and there's and there's great young coaches, and there's some great old coordinators that have never gotten their chance. They they've been right. passed over, passed over, passed over, and now everybody's looking for the next McVeigh. When there's some great coordinators out there that have never gotten a chance and they're just older, it's not their fault. They just never been part of the hiring cycle. So again, then you almost get them in a defeatist mentality. Uh, Well, it's never going to happen for me. So I'm going to just stay here, be a coordinator. And they stop trying, which again is terrible because these people have great passion for a game. They should be encouraged to always, you know, achieve the highest marks that they want and go for it. But yeah, retreads. And I, don't, I want to name somebody right now personally. I want to say it, but I'm not going to Do say it. it. But, it. you know, oh, there's no reason why Lane Kiffin is the head coach of Ole Miss. Like, there really is. not
2: I Ooh. mean, it's
3: just like, come on, Lane. You've had every job uh, known to man and you've gotten fired from them all. And, you know, it's it's just absolutely like what makes Lane Kiffin worthy of being an Ole Miss head coach? Like is that, literally,
2: is that Monty Kiffin, one of the best defense coordinators Ex- that,
3: ever? Yeah, that's it. But there are some great young coordinators and some older coaches that belong in the conversation. But they mm. went with name recognition. They went with a guy who, again, I, I don't know how they got him, but he failed at every position he's been in. And and yeah, he can draw up, scheme up some great stuff. But I mean, as far as like doing the job correctly. I, I just don't see it. Even when he was handing that poor kid the senior bowl invite the other day, it was just that like, would, man, here's your, here's your invite. And there was like, there's a, here's a moment for a
2: kid and you kind of totally just crapped on it. I know. I was about to say you shit on it really. I, I mean, cause I mean, I texted you about that when it happened. Right. Or, or we talked about it. I forget. I forget what, what yeah, we talked
3: about say it. Say. And I was just like, yeah. man, that, you stole that from the kid. It was a moment for him and his family to be, and you kind of just were like, yeah, here you go.
2: Especially in the social media world where you keep seeing these coaches doing these awesome gestures to these kids to accept these invites and stuff, right? Like stopping practice, going on these rants of like how great this kid is, presenting it to him, flashing it on the scoreboard. Like you see all these awesome gestures. And then, you know, during an interview, he just walks in. He's just like, here you go. I'm just like, man, that that – it was cringeworthy for a second for me too, because I just felt really bad for Royce Newman, who was the offensive guard, offensive tackle that's going to the Senior Bowl. And what a great moment for him! But like, man, like you couldn't have at least put on a face there and just been like, because like you could have walked in that room and been like, "Excuse me, I don't mean that. I don't mean to uh, to intrude on you guys doing your job, but I would like to announce that due to his hard work for the last five years in our program and what he's done here and what he's." show what he's given to me as a first year head coach in the sec i would like to announce that royce newman has been selected to the senior ball. was that too hard for lane was that too hard david i don't think that that was asking too much especially for a kid again like royce newman who has been through the tough times been through the worst of it with the mac matt luke years for a couple years set you know went through the storm because in this era you see a lot of players now, they're just like, tough times? All right, I'm going to transfer. Tough times, I'm going to hit the transfer portal. Like, I'm good. He stayed, he steered the ship. And while Ole Miss is not a great football team still, in the first year with Lane Kiffin, the offense has taken great steps forward and it looks really good. And he's one of the reasons why. Given that kid his moments, he deserved a whole lot more than that. And again, I'm not trying to shit on Lane Kiffin here because I don't have anything against Lane Kiffin. I've never met Lane Kiffin. All I'm saying is, man, like in that moment, that was not a good look. And I would have liked for him to at least do something where it was like, yes, I am celebrating the career of Royce Newman, what he has accomplished here at Ole Miss.
3: Right. Showing some loyalty to a player that was loyal and comp- and contributed to the program. Even though it's your first year, he might not have contributed to your success. He contributed to the program's success. Give it and be respectful. And that's what I'm saying. Like, A good coach, a good leader, a good person does that. Lane, ah, here you go. So, anyways, I know we're wrapping up. We got to get to the (laughs) mailbag.
2: We have to get to the mailbag before we do. How can you, sorry, how can coaching help you separate yourself from our competition in the interview process? Well, you are willing to go to training facility to run faster than your opponents, but are you willing to get coached up to be a better interview? When you're uh, against your competition, can you handle the tough questions about your past? Are you confident you can answer the decision makers questions without running on and on? Well, if you're not all set, then think about hiring an expert coach to get you to be above the other athletes in the 2021 NFL draft. Maverick Sports Consulting is your expert coach to get you ready to tackle this offseason process ahead of your competition. Visit MaverickSportsConsulting.com for more information. Dave, we want to get to mailbags real quick, real quick scouting tips. we want to start giving these guys some tips, especially if they're listening to us. They have aspirations, being in the front office, being in the scouting, um, being in a scouting department, being an independent scouting service, like whatever their dreams are in this field, a coach, whatever it is, watching film. Quick tip. I'll start off with one. You give me one, and then we'll move into the mailbag. I am a huge believer in watching film chronologically, huge believer. in. It. I want to watch if I'm watching three games, I'm watching one in the beginning of the season, one in the middle, one at the end. I want to see progression throughout a season. Obviously we're watching film. We're watching enough film to get a astute opinion, an in-depth opinion, but I want to make sure that I'm watching it in order so that I see Hey, oh, maybe he started off a little rocky, right at his ship. That might show me, hey, he's got, he's got something to him. He's a tough kid. He fought through adversity. Maybe he was just rock solid all the way through, and that checks all those boxes type of thing. Oh, he didn't, he didn't, um, he didn't compete at the highest level near the end of the season that he was doing earlier in the season. What's the reason for that? Just a little more in-depth, comprehensive look chronologically. Your scouting tip for the night. My scouting tip for
3: the night is is don't enter into a, 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 a film session with bias. Like mm-hmm. all, something that Gettleman taught me early in my career is whatever your grading scale is, you know, for him, it would be a 6-6. Six, six. All players started as a 6-6, six, six, which is a, a solid starter. And let them play themselves up or down, in or out of that role. So they either solidify being a solid starter for you through their play and their work, Or they work themselves out of it or they work themselves up even further. So it's not a situation where you're walking into the room because you heard on the scouting trail, you read on Twitter this, you you, you know, his bio's not that, you know, impressive. Definitely walk into any film session, sit down with a remote in your hand, thinking whomever you're gonna just you're gonna look at right now is a solid starter. And then let them play themselves out of that role in your head. This way you don't walk into the room trying to make them fit whatever you've heard on the street, whatever the bio reads like. You walk into the film room as best you can with any unbiased opinion to give this kid every chance they have to make your team.
2: That's a a great tip. And I like I like to do that, too, where it's like I I call it like a blind viewing. Right. Like, I just want to go right in. I don't want to see box scores. I don't want to hear people's chatter, what people are saying about them in the media. Like, I just want to go in and, and take a look. Great scouting tip. We have three questions tonight in the mailbag that we have selected. Shout out to everybody that put the questions in the mailbag. I'm going to start this first one off because it's a very 2021 NFL draft centric. I knew David started getting into some film, but he's not getting in until a little closer to the season, which I, I don't blame him because I don't know who's actually declaring this year. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of like a, I was like, let
3: me just wait and see what the lists <laughs> look like, and then I'll start digesting them.
2: I know, I know. We're trying to get ahead of the curve, and I I just feel like we're probably um, getting evaluations for kids that might end up going back. But, hey, we'll see what happens. First question from Jack underscore Borowski. Where do you see Brandon Baron Browning, linebacker from Ohio State, and Eric Stokes, cornerback from Georgia, going in the draft? Both are great athletes with elite speed and have been impressive on tape this season. Interested to know your thoughts on both and if you think either can go round one. Let me start with Stokes because I've talked about him pretty in-depth in the past. I absolutely do think that Eric Stokes can go in the first round. I think that he is six foot plus. I think he's going to run in the four threes potentially. He's very athletic. He's sticky in coverage. He's tougher than you think. He's not afraid of contact. He'll come up. Uh, I think that he brings a versatility in coverage too. I don't think that he's, I don't think he's a scheme-specific corner. I think he can do things in zone. I think he can do stuff in off-man. I think he can play some press man at times as well. I think there's a good variety to what versatility he can bring to the back end. So I absolutely do think that Eric Stokes can play. 2019, I thought his take was good, and I was very impressed. And I was wondering why people weren't talking about him more. It was because the box score scouting was a little in effect. He didn't have any interceptions in 2019, even though he was really good. And his ball scores are actually very good. And then this year he has three interceptions. Now people are trying to start to throw him in the conversation, which they should because he's very good. So, yes, Eric Stokes is one, absolutely. Baron Browning, I'm going to be honest, Jack, I haven't watched a ton of him in 2020, only in passing, right, like just watching the games on TV. So I don't have a thorough in-depth evaluation of him this season. I will say you see the you in 2019 film speaking, he kind of mixed in a lot because they still have Malik Harrison, they have Pete Werner. They have tough Borland still on the team. So he got lost a little bit in the shuffle and was kind of mitigated to a backup role to a high degree, despite being a junior. Um, He's very athletic. You can see it quite easily. He has a nice body. He's super explosive getting downhill. I question instincts at times. I know he's playing in a different position this year than he was last year. So we'll see what the evaluation brings. But I was a little lower on Burn Browning. I saw the athlete. I see the upside. I just – for linebacker, I'm very picky with linebackers too, because it's a position I played. So I will be the first to say that. Did not love his eyes. Didn't think he was very instinctive, and I thought that he really had tough tough, tough time transitioning from trigger, post trigger to his landmark and coverage. So a little off putting, especially in a passing league now. So Baron Browning, upside. We'll see what 2020 brings. Wasn't a huge fan of his 2019 film. Two questions that we have left. Going to. Mr. Mark Jarvis, who chose at what's on N, what's on draft NFL, who asks us a question every week, weirdest body type that each of you can remember scouting. Question brought to you by a ten, 290-pound Houston defensive tackle I saw yesterday. So, David, is there somebody that sticks out to you as the weirdest body type that you scouted? Well, you know, I'm
3: going to talk about a successful story. It was probably the worst body I've ever seen in my life, but he played at the NFL level. Kevin Booth. So Kevin Booth oh, yeah. coming out of Cornell had the worst body type. Like he was just a guy that looked underdeveloped. I'm um, being, being frank. Cause it's us, uh, it's us. He had man boobs and they were very loose <laughs> when he was running. Like you could go back and watch him run. They were, they were flopping everywhere and you were like, man, how is this guy going to be successful? And, you know what? He did it at a very high level for a very for a very good long period of time and now he's working at the I believe he's at the NFL league office doing some stuff. I mean, he's a very smart man, that was never in question. He went to Cornell, married, majored in uh, sure. hotel management, which is like the top program for that in the in the world. So, you know, but I mean, his body type was like, I don't know what kind of player this is going to be. And then you go watch him play and he was physical, he was actually athletic. <laughs> He he can move. He can hit moving targets when he pulled and trapped and did all that stuff. Uh, he was a guard that ultimately, moved, and then he wound up, I think, finishing his career at center at the Giants for a while. So you know, it was a body type that I was like, ah. But then I watched him play, and I was like, ooh, here we go. He might not look like Tarzan, well, but he sure does play like him. So
2: well, we have, you know we apologize, Kevin, for uh, for for um I know Ke- I doubted him.
3: I know she- him. She- he- but I'm being honest with him. I know him. I'm just being honest with him. I think he would say he understands. He's not yeah, a dog. Uh,
2: I'm, I'm sure I'm sure that he would definitely understand. A couple guys that popped into my head. One guy I actually just interviewed that we should have an interview out with him pretty soon. I didn't want to interview him just because he was a super interesting person. That's Josephus Smith, who's a defensive tackle at, at Austin P. We know that. Most teams lie about the measurables on rosters. So he's listed at five foot nine, two hundred eighty-five pounds. I am willing to bet that he is five eight, probably closer to three hundred pounds. My man is dense. He is a ball. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. Um, another guy in the opposite spectrum. Jojo Natson, that, that was a punt returner for the um, he went to Utah State and then he was with the Rams for a while. And now he's with another team. I think he is, and David, here this is not a typo, five foot seven, 152 pounds playing in the NFL, which is a very, very small man, probably the smallest guy I can remember listed. Um, the, um I can remember, I don't know, to my recollection, I can't remember anybody smaller than that. So a couple guys, different body types, very odd, both in their own right. Last question from FCS Nation Radio One. That is Mr. Kevin, um, Kevin from FCS Nation Radio. Shout out to you, Kevin. Surprise at all kids in the portal with every everyone getting an extra year of eligibility. So to paint the picture again, that extra year of eligibility that was granted to everyone, a very high number of transfers, specifically a lot of FCS kids that have decided to try to transfer up. It seems like. Kind of like an impulse decision to a degree. David, are you surprised? Because I'll say I'm not surprised. I think kids – I'm going to be very nice here, but I think kids aren't – they they don't take themselves out of the situation and look at the full scope of their decisions sometimes. They don't have the proper support system to make those, those correct decisions so I think it, a lot of this is impulsivity to a degree. So I think there's just some nearsightedness to some of these decisions.
3: Uh, I'm going to go out and say there's selfishness to these decisions and lack of actually understanding the the world we're living in. Like we talked about with the recruiters just a few few weeks ago with uh, James Kirkland and, um, uh, and Q, Quentin, uh, Quinton, Quinton. Um, Ganther there's not a lot of scholarships to hand out kids there there's not a lot they're not getting a lot back people aren't graduating at the rate that they did so even a Utah that might have graduated 12 guys last year they might only be graduating six and they got they can't just give you a give you a a scholarship because you want one And, you know, they got to think about the program and the growth. So they're going to go get the best talent available. And that was probably going to be a young kid. They're not just going to sell their soul and and bring you in for one year, let you perform for a year and then you're gone. And now they got to fill that that scholarship with somebody else. So, you know, I think all these kids that are entering the portal thinking it's a normal year uh, are delusional. Aren't, aren't thinking through the whole process, haven't listened to our podcast enough, because <laughs> right. the reality is the likelihood of scholarships being available aren't going to be there this year. Where there be a mass exodus of players next year that might correct the system? There could be, but could this be. year it's not going to be it. And, 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 and again, unless this vaccine gets distributed to the whole society by – August of next year, we have a normal fall. It's going to be hard to be corrected even next year. So, yeah. you know, if you're entering these portals for better situations, I'm going to give you a saying, I'm going to give you a saying, grow in the ground you're rooted in now. Yeah. Learn to get better where you're at in the situation you are now. Don't go looking for new soil and then say, this is what I need to get better Find the situation you are currently in, a program that's giving you a scholarship that has put time into you, even if it's not as much time as you think you deserve, even if it's not the opportunity you think you deserve, grow in that opportunity. Because when you're searching for the new opportunity this year, you're going to find very little takers. And then what did you do? You can't go back, right? You can't go back to the opportunity you just gave up. So where are you going to end up? If you find no takers in this portal, where are you going to end up,
2: kids? I mean, and like it's very simple, like supply and demand. Like there's limited scholarships to begin with, and then there's hundreds of players in the portal now. So it's like, what? What? I mean, you're competing. Well, yeah, yeah, if you're
3: taking over a Vandy. If you know when that Vanderbilt hires their coach, right? Take on Vandy, you might need some players, but getting into Vandy ain't the easiest thing in the world. So it's not like you can just go to the portal and just pick all the best players from the portal and come in because Vandy ain't going to let you in. So, again, kids, you got to learn, don't think with your emotion, don't be an emotional buyer and seller. Look at the market and really think about the market. And this year, the market is so bad for you guys. Get your asses out of the portal. Go back. Talk to the coaches. Solve the problems at your current situations. Get better there. Grow and do your best at those situations because what you're looking for isn't there, man. It's just not going to be there this year.
2: I think there's some reality to, that needs to be like put into some of these kids too. Because like this isn't even specifically just for transfer portal stuff, right? Because – like. I'm seeing a lot of kids that are opting out now and declaring. And I'll be very honest. Like I saw a couple yesterday where I was like, I don't know who you are. And that's not good. You know, cause I, I work for an independent scouting service that has a database that has like 2,600 players. in it, And right. I don't know who you are. I don't know who you are. And that's why you we push it? on
3: this show all the time to hire us. Let us divide, you know, for 250 bucks, 250 bucks, we can right. tell you if you're making a mistake. You right. can call, give us your film for 250 bucks. We will tell you yay or nay, unbiased decision. We have no fight. in this. We have no dog in this game, right? It's just us telling you if you should come out or not for 250 bucks. But people yep. don't do it. They say, oh, no, I got all these people around me. They're not a scout. They've never scouted and they've never sat in the seats I've sat in. Just like you, Ryan, you can tell them. They can contact you on Twitter. Do you know me? Nope. Well then maybe you shouldn't come out
2: because the people around you don't know any better either. Right. Right. And I mean, I'm very honest with any, any player that hits me up, right? Like I'll give you my general thoughts. Like, I don't care about that. Like I'll give you my general thoughts, but like the first thing that I always talk about is like support system, advisory board, like get the advisory, go. It's, it's, I don't understand why they don't take advantage of every resource. There are some good resources that are lay in front of them. If you, if you submit to the advisory and they say you need to go back to school, go back to school, man. It's not that hard. They're not like you said, you have an unbiased perspective. You have no say it. Like, it's not like you're taking a percentage out of their pay because you did a scout report for them. Like it's a flat rate and then they're out of your life. You know what I'm saying? So like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. It's very frustrating on a good note. As we wrap up the show, jimmy smith former wide receiver of the Jacksonville jaguars just followed me on twitter so there's that that, that was that was cool. that was a cool. that was all a cool back to ryan i didn't say that you said that
3: no no usually all roads back to
2: notre dame that's true <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Why well, I'm wearing the Notre Dame shirt as always. So. As always, we, gotta, uh, we always need to boast here. We need to boast. you off the Mavs sports gear on next week for you, David. As we're wrapping up here, we want to thank you all. If you followed with us this whole episode, we thank you so much. Make sure, make sure to follow myself at Rise and Draft on Twitter, Matt Mav underscore Sports, Mr. David Turner. We'll be back with Friday Night Scout School this week to talk college scouting department. Make sure you like, share, and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And hey, we would appreciate very much a review. Go to Apple Podcasts, give us the review, give us that five stars. Even if you didn't like it that much, just give us the five (laughs) stars, give us the review. Thank you all so much. As always, we'll be back with you guys next Tuesday night live at Rise and Draft for the next edition of Mav Sports Take. See you all again next week.
1: Thanks for listening to another episode of Mav Sports Take. Connect with us on social media, share your thoughts on today's episode, and tell us what we should take on next time on Mav Sports Take. Want more from our hosts, David and Ryan? visit mavericksportsconsulting.com and learn how we can help you take the next step in your sports career. Until next time, this is Mav Sports Take.